Welcome to the Avance Podcast. Coming, recording live down in Portland. Live? Well, recording in person, not live. But you will hear live for the next four weeks. Right, yes. (laughs) I'm Dan. I'm Nick. How's it going? Good. And hi, Chris. Hey, how's it going, guys? You want to try it again, Chris? Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not hang up the phone on us last we time. We don't want to fill in our, okay, the see. people listening on no. what happened last time we tried to do this, where I just darted on you guys at the end. And no, this is even better, though, because now we get to do this in person, and it's so much better recording these in person. I like that we get to connect with people from all over, but recording in person is just so much better. We get to meet our guests, actually, instead of just like virtually see them. Yeah, it's a lot easier. I mean, how dare you be a good father and try to r- rustle off? So I know. No. I, right. Well, you guys disappeared first, and then I was like, is it over? I guess it's over. Is this how they do things on this <laughs> podcast? Where you know, they just cut the I, feed I, I and I'm see, done? Yeah, it's like, wow, thanks. You know, we, we just use you. It felt like you a cheap date. That's you fine. Know? Yes. I know. <laughs> No, it was great. I felt bad, but uh, for anybody who's listening, yeah, we tried to do this before, and I'll own it. But uh, it's nice. I'm glad that I got to see you guys in person because before we did do it over Zoom or uh, over uh, over the web. But um, yeah, a lot I think of Zoom's now just like the normal term, like Kleenex or yeah, soap. Yeah. But it's really not right. It's, no, it's, it's just it's, video conference. Market share is Teams, right? Mm-hmm. There and we then, go. Uh, and now we use Riverside for recording because there's a right. higher bit rate. That's but, right. Um, we have had many issues and so have our other affiliates i've known but when you're on riverside the guests can't just disappear at the end of because we got no <laughs> i know i, <laughs> I don't know it was, that I think that was no, us. it was riverside kicked us off i think yes, is what happened so yeah. um and then this lovely gentleman was like well i guess we're done and then he went to be a good father and take his son to to soccer so yeah yeah but, yeah yeah well, i appreciate no. you guys making it happen again and uh do it again so maybe we can clean things up and uh but it was fantastic meeting you guys for the first time so i'm extra comfortable this time around good good yeah this is a Awesome space, by the way. You got yeah. a uh, special thanks to Sherry, uh, our our Avance representative in the Portland area, who set up this uh, recording day for us in this amazing garage space. I can't Hid, hidden away somewhere in Portland. Yeah, yeah. We, we are uh, recording at a secret location. Which, uh, man, if you are not an Avance charter member, uh, I know they use this space occasionally for events. You want to be for places like this because you get to see things that you normally would not. And this is a really cool space. I'm I'm. Capturing a lot of ideas for my shop build. Okay. Like, yeah, there's a lot of details in here that I need to incorporate. And I love spaces like this and the fact of, and I guess th- this is the point of it too. If you were outside, you would never know this existed. Yes, and I, exactly. And it's, it's a great, great hideaway. So, yeah. yeah, I'm admiring. So this place has open exposed beams, but you can tell this is old construction because now you cannot buy beams this size. I no. Mean, if you can, I mean, you're talking... Uh, Ferrari money. I mean, for ones beams, that come with this much asbestos. I mean, it's hard, right? No. Yeah, I'm only no. coughing a little. No, this place <laughs> is immaculate. You could eat off of any surface. Uh, it is so well put together as far as interests and and f- the way be getting cars in and out. It's it's wonderful. I love so. collections like these too, where it's not just the cars. Yes. You look around and it's you know pinball machines <laughs> and parts and airstream trailers and RC cars and bicycles and slot cars. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yeah, it's yeah, just kitchens, viewing I rooms. I know this there's a small bedroom phenomenal. up there, and I, you know, there's not I enough places leave. to hide. So I think he'd know if I was living here. But uh, yeah, it's um, <laughs> this is amazing. So yeah, yeah, what a great place to be. Yeah, uh, we have a bunch of Carter tips we can throw in here today. We were listening on the way down, so we have been educating ourselves on air compressors, and uh, we were listening on the way down here to our friends at uh, <laughs> Don't Mind the Name. They're the most popular off-road podcast on the mark on the rate on the the radio on the internet and that's the guys at snail trail off-road and if you, you guys don't know if you're not in the off-road scene those guys actually make the Morphlate systems that's how i found out about them I actually bought a Morphlate, and then i found out they had a podcast yeah i was like oh that's handy and they were talking all about air compressors today which obviously they know a lot about and one of the things that i have never considered and nick and i had never considered is um when you look at air compressors for off-road everybody likes to talk about uh cfm cubic feet per minute and um 
Well, that's not the bottleneck. The, the air compressor is never the bottleneck when you're airing up a tire. It's that little tiny 16th of an inch Schrader valve that is only going to get you like 2 CFM at max. So what you're trying to do is optimize the air pressure in your lines. And when you have a system like a Morflate where you can inflate all four tires at once, you can really make the most of your compressor because that compressor can fill all four valves at the same time. So when you look at compressors and talk compressor numbers, it's uh, you're not really looking for the latest, greatest, biggest compressor if your bottleneck is, is the Schrader valve. Right. That's why a system like the Morflate works so well is because it can divide that pressure. Um, they're not a sponsor of the show. We have just been a longtime fan. They've never paid us a dime. We just buy their products because we love them. Um, right. we, we, I think we both had Gen 1 Morflate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've been fans for a long time. And even yeah. if you're not a, an off-roader, these are great for equalizing pressure in race cars. Everything. We just think they're a great product. Anyway, it was really interesting to hear how much thought goes into building a compressor. But also, I was like, I never thought about the Schrader valve and why a, this is why you can actually fill four tires faster than one often if you have a high-volume compressor. Because it's just like it, think of it just like water down a funnel. You can only fill it so much, and so when you can equalize all that pressure out, you can get the most out of those Schrader valves. Now, if you have an air tank or something, that's, <laughs> I mean, compressed air tank. That's right. a different story because you're literally forcing compressed air in. It's a you know, it's how do I say it? It's it's compressed air, so obviously you can put more air in it because it's compressed. <laughs> you can't do that with just regular pulling air from the atmosphere. Anyway, uh, cool tip. Yeah, get to. If you want to make the most of your compressor, you don't need to go spend the most on like a, a dual cylinder ARB. You don't ha really have to do that anymore. That was at the time. It's great if you're running air tools, if you're running, you know, multiple things off your air. But that's actually a ton of air for almost any application. I have it. It works great. But um, I'll be honest, doing it again, I'm probably going to buy one of the more flight systems or a similar type compressor that's smaller and optimized just for filling tires. Because uh, with all these ideas I had in my head about how I was going to use that compressor, I've only done two things with it. Filled my tires and blown dust off my engine. There you go. I don't need a lot of compressor for that off-road. Yeah. So you're giving me a great idea. We're in the middle of an overland build, so I'll check oh. it out right after this. Yeah, check out the guys at Morflate. Yep. I think so many people used the ARB for so long because it was the number one off-road mm -hmm. thing, and they were easier to put in trucks. And you know, yeah, so they I, work. They work. Yeah, they're good compressors. So, it's yeah, just right. I just don't think the I don't I don't think the I think they're like 900 bucks for the dual kit in the box. Which yeah. the again, si the single ones like. Or fifty something like five hundred. Right, but the the market has gotten so hot in the overland market that you're yeah. seeing these things just drop in price. And so mm -hmm. for three hundred fifty bucks for one of the Morflate ones, which are different, even though they look like they call them white label, where they just all yeah. buy from one warehouse and it's the same thing. Theirs are different, and they have a patent on them. Um, the Gen twos that are coming. The Gen out twos, yeah. yeah. You just set the set the uh, PSI, right, walk away, and forget it. Yeah. And yeah. that I love. So I think for ninety nine point nine percent of you out there, this is probably all you need to spend and spending more isn't really going to get you anything so yeah spend your money uh and save it for, for your next mod spend it on lights or a locker or something i don't know anyway <laughs> go spend it on our friends with ipd there, there you, go. you go there, there you go. go there you go all right oh how's it going man it's good it's how's good life at ipd life at ipd has been fun we got a bunch of projects um you know, obviously, we're coming into Black Friday since we do direct, uh, you know, to consumer. Mm -hmm. So Black Friday is coming up. We're getting all of our marketing pieces in place for that. And then I've got a couple projects that are keeping us busy in the shop, um, which is fantastic. We're in the middle of a of a unique project. Um, I don't think the last time that we met, I don't think I told you guys that uh, we're in the middle of a V8 swap into an XC70 Overland car. Wow. So okay. Volvo teamed up with Yamaha, you know, back in the day, the same Yamaha 4.4 that was running the Noble and yep. a couple of vehicles, early XC90. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we got a P3 chassis XC70 that I bought up in Seattle, actually, from one of uh, a, a high mileage cars. Looking for a donor car that I could swap the swap out the non turbo 3.2 out of it and put in the Volvo V844. And um, about 12 years ago, Volvo North America had all these pre-production S80s that came with this V8, um, the Yamaha or yeah. the Volvo yep. 44. It's an amazing engine. But um, they gave us one for free as long as we used it into a press car someday. Well, that concept center actually is no longer. And we've had this Volvo engine sitting in our warehouse literally for like 12 or 13 years. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it's time to do something with it. So I just got a bug and went to town and uh, figured that nothing cooler than an Overland with a V8 in it. So I got an XC70, and um, my team at IPD and I have been working really hard for the past couple of weeks here and there, um, and we got it in the car. And I think there's one that's been done correctly out of Czech Republic, and um, they've got one. We saw a guy at Carlisle this year that had one. Um, but, you know, IPD's got some extra resources to make it very OE, Yeah. whereas a lot of module swapping takes place with these cars that are network-based. So when you plug into it, whoever buys this car, I want them to feel comfortable when they take it that it's going to be an XC70 V8 the way that we're uh, programming. I can't, I can't give too much away about that, but let's just say we, being IPD yeah. with the Volvo world, we have ways of making things work and run and, and all connect properly. So it's going to be a done car where it, I think it's going to be fantastic, but it's been a lot of work. Okay, I just realized something. Yeah, I know, me too. Okay. Yeah. Um, we just launched into this. We didn't introduce you. People probably oh, don't. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You're wondering how because this Because we know each yeah. other. Like, sorry. We're just like, yeah, we're, a little you know, too. So um, this is Chris Delano, correct, yep. from yep. IPD uh, down here in, in the Portland area. Yep. Um, and they specialize. I'm going to let you kind of give the spiel on the it Volvo a little bit. Volvo Authority. A Volvo Authority, correct? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, sorry. I like that. <laughs> Dan and I both staring at each other going, I want to hear this story, but we need to introduce him. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> went roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've been here, done this before. I know. So. Right. That's, yeah. that's why we're so comfortable. So yeah. give us a little bit of background on IPD, please. Yeah, this year we're celebrating IPD's 60th anniversary. So IPD is the authority in the Volvo aftermarket. And um, Volvo's been around for 60 years. Um, the founder, Richard Gordon, started IPD in 1963, partnered off, uh, actually split off with a partner of his. Some people in the Portland area know Gary Small, um, Gary Small Saab. Um, they both basically started a company together selling parts, repairing cars, things like that. One went one direction, repairing cars and selling cars. One went another direction, selling parts for his race car. And um, IPD's really built on the backbone of um, a real strong history of racing and development of uh, Volvo aftermarket performance parts and accessories. So it's nice. And I'm very, very honored to be able to be the person at the helm right now of IPD running it. So it's great. Now, if I remember right, you've only been at IPD for like a couple of weeks, maybe a yeah, year I or something like that. Yeah, I started like a couple uh, of weeks ago. I just yeah. rolled right into it. <laughs> no. <laughs> just fell into it. You've been working for them for how long? Um, since 96. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, so um, I started off there when I was 16, 15 years old, working part-time after school. And then summers when I was 16. And then officially, I started working there full-time when I was 17 while I was going to school locally in the Portland area. So it was good. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was sitting there, was sitting back and, okay, just to kind of sum up this story, we've done this interview before. Again, we had some technical issues. So we've talked about a lot of this stuff, but I don't want to glaze over it just because no. we've talked about it. So we'll just clean it up. So basically, like I said, you went working <laughs> there and you are now running IPD, correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And it's gone through a bunch of transitions throughout the years. It has okay. a lot. Yes. Yeah. Can you kind of explain to that, like the, what's happened? Well, yeah. What does IPD stand for, first of all? Yeah. It's uh, international product development. Okay. So it's actually been a couple things. As we've grown, it was import parts distribution and then uh -huh. international product development as we started manufacturing a lot of our own parts. Okay. So, but right now it's still international product development. So that's basically the acronym for it, IPD. Okay. But yeah, I mean, um, like Nick said, you know, I mean, IPD's 
been a lot of things. I've been a lot of I've been through a lot of the different changes and the processes. I've just been I mean, I look back at my my life with IPD, and I'm just very fortunate to have been surrounded by incredible people. And I know the last time we talked about that, like I've just, I just feel like I've been really lucky. Today, I was thinking about things that we can talk about here in the Portland area and the and the scene, like the tuning scene, the development scene, the manufacturing boom, and things like that with performance. Um, but I've just been really lucky to surround myself with really amazing people that worked at IPD before and after, and that I'm still friends with today. That still kind of helped me along, so it's good. I mean, it it it's amazing the amount of stuff you do i mean i didn't i when we had done the first interview and talked about it like i'd done some research and i didn't realize that and then like during that interview and i don't want to go deep into this we, we i was talking about the fact i was like your website looks a lot like this web this subaru website and yeah. there, there's some connection to that too so but i want to kind of go back to you as a kid and, and kind of your automotive love and yeah, things like thanks. that can you kind of talk about that like yeah. where you grew up and, and where this passion came from yeah, so I grew up in the Portland area, uh, east of uh, east of Portland, um, near Mount Hood, actually in Gresham, Boring, Troutdale area. That's mm-hmm. where I grew up, and uh, I've always just been a car guy um, and a different car guy. Uh, my dad was really enthusiastic about European cars. He's always owned Mercedes, Volvo, Saabs, BMWs, things like that. But Volvo to me was always the one that stood out, and not because. And I hated Volvo when I first saw it. Like, it was embarrassing. When my dad brought a Volvo home, he bought a 240, and he brought it home, and I got in, and I saw all these big vacuum-operated push knobs and buttons and plastic squeaking and things like that. But there was a place called IPD, and I was probably seven years old, and I remember my dad took me down to IPD, and right then, I was like, okay, I just had a, I just knew it. I was like, this car is different, but these people are doing something really cool with them that not everybody else is doing. And my yeah. dad kind of ingrained that in me, and I got to know the owner even back then when I was a little kid, and I told them way back then that I wanted to work for him. And I'm being honest, it's a real passion. Like, I've, there was a time, I think I told you guys last time, where I probably would have tattooed IPD on my forehead because I was so passionate <laughs> about the cars and about the people that made them cool, and it was and the thing is, is when I was growing up, as I got older, you know, as I got into middle school and in high school, I've always loved the car scene. And back then we had paper copies, you know, of like European car, yeah, like heck yeah. things like yeah. that, you know, and uh, road and track. And every time there was a Volvo spotted in there or anything European, you know, I just really loved it. It was different, you know, and um, um, yeah. And so just from the day one, IPD has just been something very special to me and seeing what people were doing. Not different, but like making cool things that were happening in other automotive markets, but making them work for Volvo in a different way because Volvo, I mean, you can't go out and get a wheel that fits on a BMW and find it, right? I mean, it just doesn't work. They've got a really rare, obscure bolt pattern since day one. And so if you want to make a Volvo, just accessorize them, it's not easy because it's, yeah. it's such a niche market that if you want to make them cool, you've got to be intentional about it, you know? The, and the company's always done that. I think, and, and I encourage our listeners, if you don't know the history of Volvo and things like that, I think so many people, especially pil- children of our age, think of Volvos. It's like there were so many in line when the, your mom came to pick you up. It was a safe sedan. That's why yep. families bought it. But the history and the racing and the things that they've done with it are incredible. And a big part of it is IPD. I it mean, is. Globally, not just in right. the United States. So right. um, I think that's, you know, as being a car person, I mean, I remember I told you like, my parents, we, we bought the first first wagon V40 that came into the, the Spokane area, which, by the way, was not a good idea to buy first generation. <laughs> that wasn't In that one, yeah. In that one. But um, the car was amazing. It was absolutely amazing because we were coming from a family of BMW and Subaru and things like that. And it just, the, the car had a, a, a production issue that squeaked. And that was, you know, Volvo was very good about fixing that, by the way. Mm-hmm. But um, 
you, I didn't think of those cars of as performance or fun cars until my parents had one. And then it was like, oh, okay, I right. get this. I get this. I get why people love this. I get the safety of it, you know? So it's amazing. Well, I mean, growing up, like my dad got into a Volvo for safety. He was a medic, um, did a lot of medic on-site safety training and all that kind of stuff all around the world for like big oil rigs and things like that. And so he cared about safety and he saw a lot of, you know, things that where people should have survived in a car on the highway where they where they didn't. And so I kind of threatened my dad the first time when I was, you know, looking at getting a car and building a car. I told him I was going to get a Volkswagen and he was just like, not happening, you know? And then <laughs> I was like, well, that's all I can afford. And we ended up going out and getting a 240 turbo. Oh, and nice. see, the coolest thing about that is that those were everywhere back then. Those, um, you know, the old red blocks, the, two, the yeah. B21s, the turbocharged cars, and they had four-wheel disc brakes, they had sunroofs, they were manual, you know, forced people with overdrive. This they was mid-90s, right? Yeah, mid yeah. Well, Absolutely. actually, 80s. Yeah, but yeah. I was in the but 90s driving them. Because we're the same age. We're the same yeah. age, yeah. right. So, but yeah. they were built, you know, from 1981 through 85 with turbocharged on those things, and they handled incredible. They were just kick-ass cars. And my dad, um, being an enthusiast and always doing off-road stuff and car stuff, I just fell in love with the fact that they were different, but they were turbocharged. You could get more power out of them. And at that time, we talked before, the big scene was Volkswagen. I mean, everybody had a GTI yep. or a Scirocco or a Corrado or whatever, you know, and um, 16 did. valve. Yep. And I loved that. And all my friends had that in the big car scene back when I was in high school, but I always had a turbocharged car. And people weren't very familiar with turbocharged cars. So I kind of got ahead of the game with learning about air fuel mixtures you know, timing and uh, basically setting up turbochargers with uh, the right fuel and tuning them a little bit. Back then, there wasn't like, yeah. you know, standalones and things like that. I was using a manual boost controller. Yep. I've even got a really funny story about how I used to change boost levels on the turbochargers with the 240s. How'd you do it? Well, you know what happens when you rip a vacuum gauge or vacuum line off of the actuator, right? Or off of... Uh, yeah, I saw uh, that in Fast and the Furious. That worked. Right. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. infinite gave, boost. Gave it more horsepower. Yeah. Yeah. Just infinite boost. Yeah. Well, the way to control boost... <laughs> Sorry. ...was I remember all my friends, I had this really decked out wagon, a 1985 240 turbo wagon that was, you know, it was lowered at Bill Stein's and the works and all that stuff had a hybrid turbo on it. But there was really no way to engine... There was no engine management. You couldn't go get Mega Squirt or a standalone or yep. something back then and program it. But you wanted more boost, so you could basically adjust the K-Jet in that thing, you know, yep. to ramp up the fuel a little bit. It had a cold start injector on it, so at full throttle, I could ground the cold start injector, which added a fifth injector so you could pump a little bit more fuel, which was really cool. And then... It's hot wiring his own car. Right? Yeah. And then what the, the other really cool thing was to get more boost out of it, you had to regulate it because you couldn't just pull the vacuum line off and just let it go crazy. You know, you get in a detonation and blow that thing up. So I started taking spark plug caps spark plug caps on the end of spark plugs and I drill them out to like a little bit of an orifice and making it basically a jet I made a jet and yeah. I would put that in the vacuum line to restrict it basically and I would drill out the hole sizes a little bit bigger and I marked them which colors and then I monitored how much boost I got so if I was going out and I wanted to go against somebody or if I knew I was going to hot foot it to the beach I'd be like I'm going to put this one it's got 13 pounds of boost I know it can run more this one did 10 this one did 8 and all I did was take these little pills out of that vacuum line and that's how you regulated boost pressure it was crazy. Simple. It's simple. So back right? in, yeah, back in the stupid. Old, back in That's the old amazing. days, with, I know. <laughs> yeah, back in the old days with turbocharging, you used to monitor your injector cycle. Yeah, because you could maximize your injector cycle to a hundred percent, and then you knew that was the max amount of boost because you couldn't get any more fuel out of it. Yeah, okay. and that's what you used to do in the rotary days. Like we, yeah. they literally, like if you want old school, you used to drill into the side of the intake, and you literally put two fuel injectors in it, right? And thread them into the in, into the intake itself, and then that was just. You would add two more fuel lines, upgrade your fuel pump, and then it would just max your injector duty cycle out. Right. And then that was the boost cutoff. And it was, 
Yeah, yeah the trial and error was uh, a this lot is of back error. back in the day when gas was $2 a gallon, too, just oh, so we're clear. Oh, 99 <laughs> cents. So I'm older yeah. than you. Yeah. So yeah. I got to go there. I could grab change out of the center yep. console and go to the beach, man. Absolutely. Dollars worth of gas in your pickup truck. Pull into Troutdale and fill it for 4 bucks. Yep. So, but but the main thing was is that Volvo. Um, when I was really young and looking at like European Car Magazine, there was a guy in European Car that really loved Volvo. So we were lucky mm-hmm. with that, and he covered IPD quite a bit. His name was Les Padron, and he actually became one of the editors of European Car and worked for various uh, Prime Media back in the day. Oh yeah, and um, there was always Volvo's highlighted in those magazines. And even before, I mean, I knew who IPD was, but all of our IPD's project cars before then ended up in those magazines, and that really just got me going i was like i wanted to yeah, be a remember part of that. that yeah i just really wanted to be a part of that culture and it was in my backyard i mean it was literally three miles from my house and so my dad became old friends with everybody down there we were working on volvos all the time and um, i got to know the owner really really well and the president at the time and he kind of took me under his wing when i started at ipd and now the rest is history that's an amazing story of something you know taking a passion and you know you really have worked for the same company most of your life. I, that's good and bad, I guess. Yeah, I know. You know, but the thing is, is that I've surrounded myself. I tell people all the time, you know, I surround myself with enough people that own businesses, that run businesses, that, and IPD has changed so many times, and I've been in heavily involved in it since the 90s, where I, I feel, I mean, I'm not cocky, but I'm confident that I'm doing something right. I, I feel like I'm not missing that much, because I, I say I've had 20 different jobs, but I've been at the same place. Yeah, yeah. like you said, it's it's transitioned. So. You've had That's constant amazing. mentors, yeah. which right. is, makes a yeah. huge difference. Still, to this day, yeah. I have yeah, great mentors, so it's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, if you're getting into business for yourself, get a mentor. Go talk to some people. Just you have to. Yeah. it's uh, You're yeah. going to need money eventually. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Consistent no. theme, though. No. Make, sure you, make sure you're not the smartest person in the room. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's never been a problem for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, no. I remember, yeah, you were talking about European car, and I used to read those things like Bibles, because I had a Scirocco, mm-hmm. I had a GTI. I was like, I was into that European car scene at 944. It was a piece of junk. Um, but... I used to read those things like Bibles, like cover to cover, every every article, every ad, everything. And I love seeing the, the Volvo stuff pop up just because it was so different. Yep. Everybody was doing what I was doing because it was accessible. And then it was like, oh, then you'd see some built-out tuned Volvo. And it made me think ever after I was talking to you, this is one of those things where after an interview, Nick and yeah. I always think of something we should have said or should have right. asked. I think back to the T5R wagon days, mm-hmm. and I really think that was my first experience of a performance wagon. It right. wasn't until then that I looked at any wagon as performance besides old tubbed out hot rod wagons. Right. And those were straight line shots, and that was it. Nothing turned. And so Volvo, and I think of a, I was thinking of, oh, our, sh- our show is named Avance. I should probably talk more about the fact that Volvo wagon. really put performance wagons on the market. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Well, and, I mean, Volvo, so IPD... IPD is uh, Richard Gordon, the founder of IPD. He is the first person to win a sanctioned race in North America with a Volvo. He's the first winner ever uh, during the IMSA series. It was a Spec B class, which was a very competitive class in the 70s and 80s, where you had Mazda, Toyota, Nissan, Datsun, Volvo, um, uh, Mini Cooper. Mm -hmm. All these cars was highly competitive, very similar to BTCC, you know, the British Touring uh, Championship Series, which Volvo really got put on the map with their front-wheel drive, their 850, you know, because that Rickard Rydell driving the 850 was unheard of. That was a phenomenal car. They got a lot of coverage, too. They got a lot of coverage. Hey, is that a a wagon? Yeah. Volvo? Hauling ass? Huge. When (laughs) Volvo was putting money into that program and building those cars and going out racing it i mean yeah i mean everybody's seen the famous ad with you know your uncle olaf's car you know and it's got the volvo 850 you know airborne you know yep. and, or, or sitting next to the lamborghini as well you know the red 850 sitting next to the Lam- or yep. that was a 740 actually next to the lamborghini sorry but R- randy's still racing one isn't he 
He does. He oh, races yeah. a chump car. He races yeah. a 740. That's what I was going to say, yeah. He calls. I was actually just got a picture on my phone. Um, one of my customer service agents called me. I was out, already left work, and he sent me a screenshot of Randy on the phone with him. And said, hey, look who I'm talking to. That's awesome. Well, I looked at a picture at SEMA where I met up with Randy, and I had that picture of Randy and I together, and I sent that back to him. I said, I just one up to you. You're yeah. look, talking to him, but I just hung out with him. <laughs> so if you ever get a chance to hang out with Randy, it's live entertainment. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. A lot of stories. Is, a lot of stories, yeah. That guy is such a phenomenal person. Yeah. Yes. He's a good dude. I mean, he's just a good person. Yep. And uh, he's an enthusiast that gets to live his life behind the wheel of a car and is doing great. So when you can keep it on the road. When you yeah. can keep it on the highway. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> right. No. no. <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, but you know, Volvo with our racing background, um, I know there were things like you said, uh, last time we spoke, there were things that I remember that we probably could have I could have touched on a little bit more, but you know, it comes back around. But IPD really has been and started as an accessory company. Um, I just found the first IPD catalog ever. Um, up in our archive, I went up to our archive section upstairs at our office and um, I was digging through all these old boxes and I found the first ever IPD catalog. We had catalogs all the way up until 2013, 120 page catalogs. That's how big it eventually got. And they got so big that they separated between rear wheel drive, front wheel drive and vintage models. But um, I found the first ever IPD catalog and that's what Richard did. He went to the racetrack, he drove, he raced, people wanted accessories off of those cars. And then he went back and put them into a catalog with like Polaroids, an old typewriter, on the first catalog ever, it even had things scratched out and written with pen, like part numbers and things. <laughs> it was it was so unique. And um, but IPD, it got me thinking. IPD sold accessories and things to modify your Volvo for many many years up until when I started. Um, we weren't really selling oil, you know, dirt, you know, air filters and cabin filters and all that kind of stuff. You know, the internet kind of took that over. But it, it has been. It truly has been an accessory modification company since day one. What year was that first catalog? First catalog was 1963. 63, wow. Yeah, 64, so it's pretty crazy. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. What history? This is probably maybe too specific of a question, but do you know what the oldest part is that is unmodified that you're still selling? Like a, a performance upgrade that's super old that's still in the market and hasn't oh, changed. Deep Dan, jeez. Yeah, um, I'm just curious what doesn't change. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, um, a performance camshaft. Um, basically, for the vintage models, the B18s and B20s, we have like a torque cam uh-huh. and a street performance cam, just different lobes, you know, for people yeah. where they want the power to be. And uh, that was one of the first things that we did offer those cars that were on the track. They're proven, and we still offer that same cam today. So it's crazy. Richard Gordon had some other spec cams that he had for his race cars and things like right. that, you know. But um, but we modified those cams for street use for the end user to have every day to drive and make it nice and drivable, but um, we still offer those today. So oh. I would say probably a performance camshaft. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm always curious what doesn't change over the years, you know, some yeah. parts, you know, technology's changed, but some stuff, especially with cars, you know, yeah. cam makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we still offer that same cam for those cars, eh, from day one, but, um, yeah, I mean, exhaust systems, I mean, things like that, you know I mean? It's yeah. all there. All the basics, exhaust suspension, sway bar. Sway bar is our flagship product. Mm. That is the one product, the first product that Richard developed that he started selling on those cars, um, race cars back in the day. He had an adjustable um, uh, a sway bar in his car, in his race car. All of his cars is 140 and it's 122. But um, that's where the business, I think, you know, Nick, last time we spoke and you asked me about the, the transitions of the business, it's been the suspension. Okay. IPD was known for suspension and developing suspension parts, and that grew into other businesses really fast in the 80s and 90s. Um, but we still offer sway bars today. Matter of fact, I just sent off sway bars for the newest of Volvo to get finish the drawings and get manufactured uh, just last week. So it's sway bars are our flagship product, and that's what we're known for. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, they're Volvos are 
comfortable. Yeah. You're not going to, you know, if you want a more aggressive performance sway bar, it's not going to come. Yeah, they, make, they leave a lot of room on the table for the car yeah. to have upgrades. And, you know, that's, that's what helps. You mentioned something when we were talking about, Randy, about the person sending you the, them the photo from your call center. That still exists at IPD, which is something that's not out there a lot, where you can call in and talk to somebody when you're ordering parts. Yeah. It's not just go online, sure, this part fits your car, good luck. Right. Talk a little bit about that, that the way that works. Yeah. So um, when I was growing up as a kid, I used to walk in IPD and I'd see 12, 13, 14 people in the call center. That's what they did. Those were guys were, I think we touched on this a little bit last time, those were specialists. They were engineers. They were people that knew stuff inside and out because that's all there was. There wasn't, we didn't have the internet, you know, in the, in the eighties and nineties to that level. So people were on the phone a hundred percent of their day talking people through machining, putting parts in their cars, building race cars, building suspension, things like that. And, um, our company was built on a foundation of customer service. And, um, I still believe in that heavily today, even though, yeah, a lot of things have turned to internet web-based, you know, programs and you can't, there's hardly ever a time where you can pick up a phone and call somebody. We still have people dedicated on the phones. We have people that love customers, that love the market, that help you through your order, help you pick parts, talk about your car. They're enthusiasts. They're all customers that used to work for, I mean, used to be customers of ours that Mm -hmm. are now working for us. So um, I think it's extremely important that we still have that facet in the business today where people can call and just chat about, you know, Volvos. I remember the days, like you'd get, you'd get your catalog out and you'd write down all your part numbers and then you'd call up, you know, this was not with IPD, but this is a good example to yep. those that don't understand. And you'd talk to me on the end and go, okay, I want part this. And they'd go, okay, do you have this? Yeah. Did you think about this? Do you know yep. that this part's going to cause this? You know, and, and not, it's not an upsell. It's a making sure that you're buying the right part so that you're not dissatisfied. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to do a twin turbo kit. Have you looked at your clutch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. transmission, exactly. and everything else that That's needs to a come. Corolla, forth. sir, don't do this. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. it's funny you mentioned that. There was a totally a different industry, but you know, biggest tech YouTuber out there is Linus Tech Tips. In a recent episode, he actually did this with gaming PCs. He had one of his staff who wasn't him, didn't have a recognizable voice, call up and say they wanted to build a gaming PC, and they asked every single company what they recommended and why and went through it. And they recorded the whole thing. Blur- they bleeped the names out. But it was interesting to see, like, which companies still had expert advice. Because they're like, we want to try this. If somebody gets into gaming, like, what are they going to get? And it was, uh, I would recommend if, you just, if you're into computers, go watch it. Because you would be shocked at how valuable it is when you right. get a company that actually still actually cares about what you want and yeah. isn't just reading out of a script. That's right. It makes a huge difference. And that's money. really important for us is that, you know, even though our customer service staff has changed, they look different. They're more customer service, you know, orientated people, but they love Volvos, but they're not like in the 80s and 90s where I had a guy there that was a machinist, literally, yeah. that could tell yeah. you the exact size of, you know, overbore or underbore this or that, you know, or get the right fitment for your engine rebuild um, or how to develop a car from scratch. That's what we used to have on the phone. Those guys now are playing different roles in our company. Yeah, They're more behind the scenes doing the product development on the pages, product development design, things like that, making sure our web pages have all the right information. Those are where those guys are at now. And not to say that the customer service, those guys are all brilliant. They're fantastic enthusiasts, but more, like I said, the people that were the guys that were down in the trenches with all the finite details, those are the guys behind the scenes now. That's just the way things have changed. I think that's oh, yeah. important. I mean, if you're on the yeah. internet and you read that just because it, it, it fits your car, it's nice to call in. And I'm, Many times I've ordered stuff for cars and things like that, and I've called in, and the lady's like, I don't know. I just, I mean, I just take orders. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't help well, It's like me. calling like, in to Amazon. No. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. on that one, yeah. No. So. But no, the guys are great. And uh, yeah, we definitely, we 
it's really important to me that we still have staff answering calls all day long. And most of the time, it's just them asking questions to double check things, and then they go about on the website and they finish their order or whatnot. You yep. know, but you know, we we got to provide that service. It's 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 uh, it has to has to be there. It's part of the part of the history for sure. Well, it's probably probably part of your staying power. <laughs> I hope so. I, I like to think that. And, um, you know, that's been a part for me has been the biggest change in the transition, right, is how do you maintain all of that in this day and age with uh, e-commerce and all the competitiveness out there with uh, selling parts online? Well, speaking so, of changes, I want to talk to you more about uh, a lot of what I've seen on your, your Instagram and things like that is the, the overland scene booming in the Volvo community, much like uh, the all-wheel drive market in general. But Volvo, no exception. We're yep. seeing, I mean, there's Adam Design and his... <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like the rest of uh, the rest of the mods. Uh, yep. So how, uh, obviously that business is going great for you. You just came back from SEMA. What's new and exciting on the Volvo front for overlay? Yeah, well, Adam Adam Nonis, which I know you guys have had on the show at Adam Design. Um, he's one of my best friends. Um, mm-hmm. I talk to him every day. We got uh, we, he's helping me on this current overland project. Um, IPD's used Adam for a lot of uh, project cars in the past and things like that for SEMA builds mm-hmm. and custom stuff like that. But he's fantastic. He goes way over the top. My job is to you know, back in the day, we used to buy brand new Volvos right off the showroom floor. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd sit on them for a couple of years and never get any traction. And then we do all this marketing around it. Then all of a sudden, 10 years down the road, people are like, hey, I want what was on that car. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, we got rid of that car and uh, we didn't do anything because nobody wanted anything with it. But yeah. now we're buying and, uh, and modifying cars that are pretty much in the wheelhouse of what the market is asking for and what they're driving. In that third owner, you know, they get out of warranty and now they want to do some things to it. Huh. So for us, it's the overland scene. It's um, the products where people are wanting to know what they're capable of, what they can do, what they can do with them, uh, especially since there's so many crossovers, you know, with the XT60 being popular, the V60. Um, they all come with all-wheel drive, tra- uh, drive drivetrains, the XC70. And uh, it's been a lot of fun working with people and, 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 and basically showing them that you can achieve a really cool-looking car to do some things. It's not a 4x4, but it can go off-road and hit a lot of trails and get off the grid. And, um, you know, um, go do what you want to do. And we're just trying to prove to people that, hey, a Volvo is a very comfortable way to do that by being in a, in a luxury car. But it can still hit up a, you know, a forest trail or a forest road and go find somewhere to camp or be on your own, you know, where you're not beating down, you know, all the state parks and stuff like that. I would say very few people, I think that, I think the, I think oddly the four-wheel drive market is shrinking in yeah. the sense of the, like, I need low-range lockers, all that. That is shrinking because spaces to do that are shrinking. Right. And overlanding is taking off because now they just want to go explore forest service roads that's right. and go out where people aren't at. And that's a great thing to do because you're not impacting the environment as much. Right. And you can still, you don't need as much for it because you think overlanding is expensive, man. Not No. Until you're getting, if you get into rock crawling, that's a whole new level of expensive because right. you're breaking stuff. You're all breaking the time. stuff all the time. Rock crawling yeah. Volvo, I like. Yeah, that idea. yeah, <laughs> high low range solid <laughs> axle <on>. swap. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, I mean, <laughs> know your limits. <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, you see the the overlanding the vans. You know that van market is exploding, and mm-hmm. I think it's and those are becoming everyday drivers for people. You know, but they're yeah. it's nice because if they want to plan a night or two to get away, they can just go somewhere and have all the amenities. We're trying to show people that you can have some of those amenities in an SUV as well without spending two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars on a yeah. on a van, um, and you can still go camp and have a good time. And the Volvo can handle certain things. Um, we did the Washington Outback Discovery route yeah. um, in our Volvo. We started off, you know, up near um, Lake Chelan and made our way back around Mount Adams and down in Oregon, and did that over a few days, and it was phenomenal. The yeah. car handled really well. I've been to the Alvort Desert in our project car. Um, all over Southern Oregon and things like that, and it's uh, it it can do all those things that people want to do safe 
And um, I think that's what people are excited about. Um, our photo contests are proving that. We do a photo contest every year where people send in submissions of, of things that they're doing with their cars. And we have a category called Worker Play. And I can tell you the amount of overlanding and camping and somebody is going and finding their own little oasis, maybe on a beach or on a mountain or just off of the side of a forest road. It's, it's incredible. People are really using these things and doing it. And um, hopefully that's because of our influence, you know, because we're showing them that it is possible. This is a little bit in the weeds, but as from an overlanding standpoint, is there anything the Volvo roof and the roof racks are, are? Is it pretty? Can they carry a lot of weight up there? I mean, I've put my biggest guys at IPD up on a rooftop ten on our rack. Um, they're yeah. rated for so much, but um, right now the big uh, craze is platform style racks, mm-hmm. and they kind of disperse the weight a little bit better, in my yeah. opinion. No, I got one on my Subaru. So yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And so we we just started using platform racks from Thule. Um The Cap yeah. Rock is probably the best one that I've uh, experimented with. Um, and then the rooftop tent goes up there, and it, it definitely disperses the weight, and it takes a little bit easier load on those roof rails on a Volvo. But it, we've loaded ours up to the to the roof, and it, 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 it'll do fine for most most people. I was expecting do. it to do well because the one thing I think about Volvo, again, is safety. And in rollovers and things like that, it yes. very much protects. Right. So that roof is, is very solid. So yeah, I yeah. mean, they rate it for a certain weight, but we know that yeah. it's going to be a lot more. They're just being, you know, uh, definitely well, conservative. Just, yeah, they're static load and dynamic load, yes. too. Yeah. So as right. long as you're not, like, driving down the road and standing on the roof, no. you're probably okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. But, no, we have a rooftop tent. I mean, we, we load the livings out of it with the top up there on the platform rack, and I've had myself my wife my kids all up in that tent you know standing up and jumping around and i've looked at the rails down below and it does fine so good yeah Yeah. it's good they can do it what's new on the performance side that you're looking forward to what's the new product coming out or something that just came out that you really like well um right now we've been we've been really focusing on a lot of suspension parts um with our own line of parts we offer a line called hd um whether it's tie rod ends control arms ball joints um things like that steering components um, we're doing a lot of that kind of stuff right now just because um, we're seeing a lot of stuff that's out there that's just failing prematurely that shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know. And so we like to find, you know, things on the, the the P3 chassis, which is basically like a 2010 and newer XC70, XC60, all that kind of stuff. Um, um, but um, right now we're really focusing on just expanding the lines of stuff we've done for the earlier cars. But with that comes exhaust systems and silicone upgrades and things like that. Um, you know, we look for things that, you know, Volvo unfortunately uh, doesn't do the best job with the rubber components um, mm. because it's all recycled materials right um, being you know which is great it's earth friendly you know they like doing that they've always been like that but unfortunately they just they fail you know they get yeah. petrochemicals on them wears down the rubber they break it fails you know then you got to replace a bunch of stuff we find those things and we upgrade them with uh, basically non-recycled materials and I know um, just a better mix of material to make them last longer. Um, and our thought is, is that, you know, now you're not just putting more of that stuff into into the ground and into the waste because they're lasting way longer. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, performance stuff um, has definitely changed. Um, we offer tuning and all that kind of stuff up to the Lewis models, up to the spa chassis and on their uh, – uh, the the basically the modular 2.0 turbo engine because Volvo offers the the two liter and the turbo the the turbo supercharged and then they got the turbo hybrid with the electric drive yeah. so it's just it gets very convoluted and we have um, support for all of that across the boards for everything but um, um, I would say the biggest the last biggest project that we had which is taken uh, which is blowing up right now which could probably lead us into some other topics is the turbocharger for the uh, P2 chassis, which is like your S60 V70R. We have our own proprietary turbo that we designed from scratch. 
um, that bolts right onto these cars, and that has been picking up some serious steam lately with all the supporting pieces that go with it that we designed. What's the install like on something like that? I mean, a Subaru is pretty brainless, but Volvo's yeah. a little bit more complex. Well, I mean, like anything, I mean, Subaru's got that stupid up pipe and all the things you got to go in there and the EGT and all the funkiness, and yeah. it's great, but... With Volvo, it's not as bad. The only thing is like anything, right? It's, um, you know, you're dealing with exhaust studs that go into the head and things are hot, <laughs> yeah. you know, and people taking things apart and uh, possibly breaking or snapping things. You know, it just takes time. So it can be anywhere oh, from... Oh, you're talking about Volvos. I thought we were still talking about Subarus. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, yeah. I mean, like anything, it could be very straightforward and easy to do. It's just, you know, tedious, draining the coolant, the oil, you know, creating every, getting everything out of the way, making yeah. sure things don't break as you're taking them off and soaking them properly. But it's very straightforward. I think Volvo... To me, a Volvo is a very easy car to work on. They're very modular. There's less space. You know, there's nothing really crazy technical. For me, working on other cars and being in the industry and uh, knowing a lot of people working on other cars, I, I'm actually, I, I think Volvo's done a fantastic job uh, with the setup of their engines and uh, giving people access to be able to at least maintain them, work on them themselves. What so. kind of power are you getting out of that turbo upgrade? Right now on the R model, safe. Um, you know, we developed that turbocharger. Yeah, safe. Yeah, safe. We developed that turbo because the 2.5 is very susceptible to cracking. Um, you know, the sleeves and the in that in that 2.5 liter, even with the factory turbo on it, they just don't like high cylinder pressure, and they end up cracking. Mm. And um, you blow head gaskets, or you crack a cylinder wall, or hone them out if people are tuning them wrong. Um, so we developed a turbocharger that actually runs less boost than what our tuned factory turbo would run. So that way we're decreasing cylinder pressure, but we have such a more of efficient turbo that we're actually getting about 110 foot-pounds of torque across the rev range from 3,000 all the way to 7,200. Oh, nice. Where the factory turbo falls on its face at about 4,800 RPM, 5,000 RPM. So we're able to maintain torque and power all the way across the rev range with, um, with about four pounds less to boost. So um, it's great. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you're getting about 420, 450, you know, foot pounds of torque across the board on those cars. Plenty. It's it's enough on yeah. all-wheel drive. So yeah, that's a worthwhile upgrade in for sure, for, especially for a daily driver. Which right, most of these are that's absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. It's great. Yep. You took my question away. I was going to ask him why they developed their own turbo, but that just answered it. Yeah, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We noticed again. That was just something yeah. we noticed where people were really struggling, and um, you know, even with the factory turbos cracking when they start putting more boost in them, running more heat. Right. Um, the exhaust housing on those cars, they all got cracks, and on the K twenty four is a great operating turbo, but they do crack. Yep. So we noticed that, so we increased ours. Um, and uh, the turbo manufacturer is a, is a person who is a friend of mine that owns a turbo manufacturing business out of Australia, Japan, and Thailand that I met through the Subaru world. Oh, okay. So they there manufacture turbos in the aftermarket for Subaru and have been for 50 years. So I got together with them, and basically we just uh, did the, a K24 exhaust housing proprietary towards Volvo based off of like a GT28 or a GT30. I assume you have a pretty good relationship with Volvo. Um, did we talk about this last time? I don't know. We talked, I know when Volvo was owned by Ford, those were the glory days. I think we talked about that yes. a little bit, but yeah. Ford, when Ford owned Volvo, it seemed like there was just money coming out of everywhere. Like they were yep. in the concept area. I'm not talking about just wasting money, but like Ford is, was huge into concepts and building cars. And SEMA was always the big proving grounds for that every year. They would have the big Ford was the sponsor for SEMA. They had the big booth and everybody that they, you know, had underneath their wing um, was in that booth. And we were in that booth many years in a row um, with SEMA and with Ford because they were just very enthusiastic about building concept cars. And they came to us and wanted us to see what we could do. And we would showcase those builds in the SEMA booth. And um, so the Ford days were fantastic. I will be honest, 
Um, a little bit of that. I mean, I've got, I get the press releases, I get the invites and things like that for car launches and things going on, but, um, it, it has changed. It's changed a little bit. We don't have the inside track, um, with Volvo North America, like we used to, um, I have people that I contact, but that industry changes. As you guys know, people oh, just yeah. dart, they move around. Sure. They're somewhere else in different sector, different car manufacturer. Um, and a lot of those contacts that I was really in deep with um, have moved on to bigger, greater things or just different things because things have shifted drastically in that market. So That's, that amazes me because I think, you know, Volvo as a company or any, any automotive company would love places like you, not because yep. you're turbocharging, but you're, you're servicing the community with parts that, you know, that they need. And so, well, you're helping in performance <laughs> development too. Look at the relationships right. between OEMs and like uh, Fox or right. uh, like things, you know, wheel manufacturers, things like that. Like you're going to see that and they, they do like you go to a Mopar catalog, you're going to find a bunch of Fox stuff, a bunch of, I think it's Fox for Mopar and Ford. And it's just like, I mean, exhaust manufacturers, Borla was a big one in the OEM industry. Yep. Like, I mean, it behooves them because it keeps people coming back to their brand. Sure. Well, the R car, which when it was owned by Ford, you know, I, I think that the 2004-2007 R model, S60 and V70R, is probably the most enthusiastic Volvo that's come out uh, for a long time. It was 300-300. It was kind of all-wheel drive, trying to compete with the Evo. It can't compete with an Evo and a Subaru. They, they just outweigh them. It's not that type of a car, not a rally car. Right. But it was an enthusiast-driven car. I mean, that car was so far advanced over anything else that had come out in the market. And then there was Polestar, right? Polestar hit really hard. That was kind of like take away from Volvo's enthusiastic. That's like That was the enthusiast brand was Polestar. Hey, we got these upgrades where you can add an exhaust, add a little bit of power. But even Volvo had to restrict that because Polestar... Like right now we have customers always calling like, how come your tune gets us 60 foot pounds and 85 horsepower, but Polestar gets us 25? What are you guys doing so different? I'm like, well, that's because Volvo had an agreement with Polestar that they couldn't outperform the next model. They don't, they don't want you to outsell a car because they're like, why would I go buy that one? I go buy that one, just tune it and yeah. get way more horsepower. It's being limited by Volvo. So, Interesting. Um, but Polestar was a very enthusiastic brand that came out. And obviously you guys are seeing what that's turning into is its own car model. You know, yep. and they're killing it in the electric, in the electric and the EV market. Um, but it's not as performance-based as it once was. Volvo cars are beautiful, but they're more lifestyle. I mean, you look at when, when Geely took over, Geely Holdings took over Volvo and their marketing campaigns came out. It wasn't, you didn't see a car sliding around corners or out there on a big drift pad and doing all this stuff. You're seeing, you didn't even see the car. It was about a lifestyle, you know, in Scandinavia where they had the home on the, on the side of the cliffs and the driving at night. And it was just, it was more of a lifestyle compared to a performance base. It was more... You know, encouraging that type of life, in my opinion. So, and then there's us, where I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I know. And then I look <laughs> at those commercials, and I'm like, where's the car? You know, you see the tail light, maybe a little bit of it. They're just giving you little sneak peeks. But you know, Volvo came out with their whole um, uh, love program, their drive program, where it's basically subscriptions. You know, it's like you go to your phone, you're like, I want a car for a year. I'm going to subscribe, and I'm going to oh, get yeah. the insurance. I'm going to get the car, and I'm going to get the support. And um, it's becoming a an appliance. Oh, nothing in like it. <laughs> yeah, right? Not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too passionate about my car. I know. <laughs> I mean, and I, I get how that can work for somebody. Like, you, you look and you go, okay, I work in the city. I only need a car for this much. And, and I'm, you know, it makes right, sense. Right, right. I mean, I don't, I don't see stuff like that lasting. No. You know, it's like. Well, it's I certainly mean, not very American. Well, no. <laughs> I know that. But, I mean, there's a lot of car companies out there, and I'm going to call BMW out right now, that are doing stupid things. If you don't know, BMW is now trying to charge people to use their heated seats. It's not going over well at all. Yeah. No. Like, it's a subscription so that they can turn on your seat. So, the, there's an interesting story behind that. I've, I've dove deep into that. Because oh, okay. if you if you lease the car for a short amount of time, and you lease the and you 
you know, subscribe to the option, you end up paying less for the car overall than you would to buy the option in the car and right. include it in the lease, Ugh. which is, and they save money in manufacturing costs because okay. they use the same harness, the same right. build. For it's all this, there. It's, it's all but there. It's sitting there. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so, yes, it's one, it's stupid. Um, it's like uh, one of the big things you're seeing now, if you, if you dive deep into some of the, the cars, like there's a bunch of stuff that's included that you can just unlock if you have the factory tools. So there's guys right. that like uh, Audi, for example, if you wanted CarPlay or Android Auto, um, you can just, if you have the tools, you can just go turn it on. Yep. It's there already. Yep. Um, it's stuff like that is becoming more and more because as they look at cutting costs, but at the same time, people are pissed because they're like, if it's there and it's in my car and you're paywalling it, yeah, that's bullshit. That's right. I have the car in my possession. And if you have the option to buy out your lease, <laughs> you're like, uh, I can, you can go pay somebody to turn it on for you because they can, you can you know, bring a bunch of beer to your, donuts to your techs and they can turn it on for you if they want, yeah. um, which is a thing. Uh, but it's, yeah, that's why people are pissed about it. So I, I understand both points of view. I think BMW's point of view is stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm pretty, Nick and I are very public about that opinion. No, that's okay. I mean, like yeah. I said, we, us being enthusiasts, we want yes. to be in the car. We want to play with the car. We want to upgrade the car. We want to, you know, and yeah, being Americans, like you said, it's uh you got to think outside the city. You got to think of you are. We are in our cars more often, mm-hmm. you know. And um, but the thing is, we want to be able to make them unique, and um, that's our job. That's where I'm hoping IPD will keep coming into play. Yeah. And will it'll just set us more apart from what's going on in the industry, and hopefully that'll get recognition because I believe there's a fair amount of enthusiasts, maybe not right off the bat, that want to buy them, but it will definitely come around, uh, you know, to the second or third owner because I do believe these cars are lasting longer. Um, you know, they have less maintenance on them. You know, they're just, they're, they're just lasting longer. There's great cars. Yep. And, um, hopefully when they get into the second and third hands of people that uh, want to do something with them or where we're going to come into play, it'll, it'll happen. So, yeah, that's where, that's where we all have to do our part. And I, this sounds kind of preachy, but do you have to do our part to influence the culture to get you back into to. working on stuff because yep. you lose it. If you don't own it, you don't know how to work on it. You lose it. And that's where things like people have talked in the electronics industry about right to repair. And then we hear about it in our industry because of things like John Deere. But when you don't have right to repair, that means manufacturers can lock you out of functions in your own car. Yeah. Like there's a long tail to that that people aren't thinking, they aren't thinking about what's put right in front of their face. Yeah. And the fact that you can't repair your cell phone leads to the same law that says you can't repair your car. And yeah. people don't think about that. They're like, oh, I don't, well, I don't really care. I'm just get a new one anyway. You know. Yeah. Well, the $2,000 phone is not the same as a, no. you know, $60,000 car. No. And it shouldn't be. Like, people shouldn't look at it that way. It's not how things are going to work and well And I'm telling you. you right now, as technology grows, and one thing that I've learned, and this is the one thing where I never get hung up because I always get asked, as these cars get more technical and, you know, how are you guys staying on top of things? I'm like, I remember back in the day when we went to front-wheel drive. I was a part of that company when yeah. the owners were like, I don't know, use the term, they were kind of freaking out. How do we go from push rod um, and overhead cam engines and these red blocks, these tractor engines to this dual overhead cam, front wheel drive, transverse engine, all this stuff. You know, this is freaking us out. We can't do that. It's too technical. <laughs> I look at that car and I'm like, I look at the 850s and 70s series. And I'm just like, man, that is so old school. It's, yeah. it's nothing. And um, even now, like with this new Overland uh, project that we're working on, the cars are 2009 and those cars were originally pin locked from Volvo to where you can't even access them. And if you do, right, you got yeah. blackballed from the dealer. They're like, yep. somebody's done something, you're done, warranty voided, yep. all this. Well, our tuner that we've worked with for 30 years, we know people inside Volvo, we know how things work. And we just know that over time, there is something that's going to come out. There are companies out there in Switzerland, there's 
I mean, there's, I don't want to name names of certain companies out there that have protocols mm-hmm. that they're developing and getting access to where they're giving the public the opportunity to go in there and change things. And on this new Overland project that I'm working on, that's an 09 where it had a pin lock on it. You couldn't do anything. And that's very, it's still a highly technical, um, complex uh, car with modules and network and fiber optic and all this stuff. I just come, I mean, I don't want to give away too much, but I was able to turn that car into where it's going to be OEM, where when somebody plugs into it, they're not going to know what the hell it is. It's going to be exactly what it says it is. Yep. And that was not available a couple of years ago. Technology is burning, and people are figuring it out. Well, they, again, you, like Dan said, you want access to your own car. You're paying you for want it. access, and somebody's going to like, get in you know, there. Well, That's it, ridiculous. We have an old saying in the, the tech industry that it, once something is not in your hands, it's, yeah. it's, it's open. It right. doesn't matter what your encryption is. If somebody has enough time, Right. They're going to get into it. It doesn't matter what it is. Like there's without, you know, setting it to explode when it's not in your proximity. That's it. Like it's, yep. it's out of your control. If they're just assume they have access to everything in it, no matter what you're encrypted to. Right. Cause no matter what you can throw at it, if somebody's got enough time and enough, you know, what's the word? Um, they're just curious enough. Curious enough yeah. 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 If they're inquisitive enough, they're going to be able to find a way to get yep. into it. And uh, it's like a Ford. If you, we joked about this Ford. The name of the tool to get into a Ford is called the Forescan tool. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what yeah. it's called. And then once you plug it into your OBD2 port yeah. in your truck or any Ford you've got, no matter what it is, you have access to every function in the truck. Yep. Like right. I want, you know, it's like you want power folding mirrors and you've got and to do and you want them to lock when you close the truck no problem yeah you know, like you want to open up every serious xm satellite you know connection if you've got the antenna there it'll work like yeah. it's all in there we've got it we've got some people yeah. that just came to us with a tool that uh basically <laughs> plugs in and unlocks every single feature like we talked with the sea heater yeah. maybe it didn't have it but it's all there it unlocks everything for up to the newest model you can imagine and i'm just that's what i'm saying like these little companies these little specialty companies are popping up everywhere and it still blows yep. me away i'm just glad that there's volvo involved in that because there are enthusiasts that are that technically savvy that are creating these types of things for yeah. Volvo. Um, but right now, we just always like to pick and choose who we partner with because we are on Volvo's radar. Um, yeah. Not in a bad term, in a bad way, but we just don't want to – we want to make sure our, our relationship's good moving forward and we're oh, not yeah. doing anything to piss them off. Or they could have make them. life difficult if they wanted to. Yeah, they right. could. They yeah. could make sure. life difficult if they wanted to. They're much larger than little IPD. But um, <laughs> we just like to make sure to move forward and uh, do things uh, you know, in the right way. So That's fair. Yeah. yeah. What's the Volvo tool called? Is it Volvo? It's uh, for like their yeah. accent. Vodas. It's, it's a Volvo. Vodas. Vodas. Well, I was going to say. And Vita. Volvo. Vodas. Well, Vodas I mean, was the old one. Now it's Vita. <laughs> yeah. Vodas Vita? Yeah. Okay. So you've got Forescan, Badgecom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, Vita. Vita's a new one for the newer cars. And it's funny because even that is on the black market. You know, there's yeah. everybody that. I got a kid that works for me that, you know, I'm like, hey, we knew on the shop. And he's like, oh, I got it. I got my laptop. I got it already. I know everything. I mean, these kids are, yeah. these people are technicians already. I'm like, well, normally they know more. I had a tech come over to our work today. We're troubleshooting a problem on a car. And this kid that works for me, there's a tech, a master tech that I've known for 20 years, came over to just double check some things. And he had his um, open. He had everything open. And the, but my, the kid that works for me had his. And he was telling him, the master tech, where to go to troubleshoot fuel trims and the fuel pump and load yeah. and all this kind of stuff faster than the other guy. I was like, it's just crazy, you know? There's, if you've ever – I'm sure you guys have had it. If you've ever gone into a dealership after modding your car and they look at you and go, yeah, we're not working on your car anymore and your, your warranty's gone, it's a real – pucker factor so the it fact is. that you can do those modifications and that you're, you should be able to do and then 
I'm going to say the word hide them from right. the, the, the... Know your service advisor, exactly. know your tech, well, know absolutely. what they drink, yeah. know what they eat. And we've been taking it easy because obviously you guys know with the EPA and Volkswagen and all oh, this yeah, stuff, right? Yeah. And now they're the checksums at the, um, at the uh, mission centers and things like that in California. Um, we've had to get really creative to make sure that we're not causing anybody any issues. Um, that's the last right. thing we would ever want to do when somebody goes to re-register their car and all of a sudden the checksums aren't lining up or something like that. They know that their car has been messed with. But I always tell people, if you're going to do something to your car, make sure you can take it back because someday you're going to want to sell the car. I mean, and, I mean, as, and I don't want to give anybody yeah. advice, but like if you're going to go get your car checked out, you should be able to put your car back to stock and right. take it for yourself. Well, the one thing for me is like, you know, you guys have been asking about like new things. We tune. We still tune cars, mm-hmm. and we tune them very well. Um, we've got a tuner that, you know, wrote code for Bosch. He was an ME7 developer. He developed ME7. Okay. And I'm like, okay, so this is great. This guy has done all this protocol and all this building. He knows what he's doing. But sometimes we're looked at as the man, and you get like a guy that calls, and he's like, I don't want your tune. I'm going to go to this guy because he looks like he knows what he's doing, and he's telling me to go over these. I'm like, you know, that's great sometimes, but obviously it's not always the best. You know, like it APR matters what your tune like, looks like. Yeah, right? Or well, because somebody says, I'm going to give you an extra pound of boost. Well, no, that, that's not how it works. You know, these are load-based cars. Which and is going to lift your request. head, and then it's going to blow up. Yes. There's yeah. a reason you guys know what you know, because yeah. of its experience. And yeah. I'm just, I'm always telling people, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to sit here and try and talk you out of the route you want to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to let you know, we've been doing this for a very long time. It's safe. It's credible. We're going to stand behind you. We're going to work with you. You're going to spend, you know, 1200 bucks on a tune. Just do it and let us help you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we, a lot of tuners in general, reputable tuners, don't like to leave extra horsepower on the table. No. If it's not going to, if there's not a massive trade-off. Yeah. yeah. Because they're like, why would I want to be outsold by somebody else who says, well, this tune says at stage one, I can get 30 horse and this one says I can get 50. Right. Like, well, the one at 50 has probably got some trade-offs if everybody else has got 30. Right. Like, you kind of eventually come to really similar conclusions. <laughs> Yeah. When you start getting yeah. above that, it's like, well, yeah, it's because they had to upgrade everything else to get there. Otherwise, you're right. going to start blowing stuff up. Like yep. You, said. you don't want to yeah. do that. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Chris, it's been great to have you back on the show. Thanks for yeah. joining us. You guys are great. And everything you guys, like I said before, everything you guys are doing in, uh, in the Avance uh, world and uh, getting the right people on the show and uh, talking about it, like I said, I think it's really cool to see the enthusiasts, um, you know, and finding places like this that we're in today. Um, it's just, it's, it's refreshing. It's really refreshing, especially. We got to keep the car community alive. Yeah, and you think you guys are doing great. How can people find IPD? Yeah, they can check out IPDUSA.com. They can call us um, once they're there. There's obviously an 800 number. You can email me direct. And we got a blog. We've got Instagram, social media, YouTube. Okay. We're on all of it. We've got really great marketing people. Um, we've got a really great blog going on right now on that V8 swap if somebody's interested in checking it out. Sweet. Um, I just featured some stuff that um, Adam uh, from uh, Adam Design worked on with me and uh, knocked out some stuff to make this car move. Um, and we got more things in the works uh, for Overland, but um, we got all of our previous builds, current builds, um, everything there that's going on inside the company. We're pretty transparent. I mean, we like to show everybody what's going on inside the building, inside and out, and uh, keep it rolling. Me Excellent. personally, too. So, yeah. IPD USA. And IPD, right. Chris. Yeah. IPD Chris. IPD Chris. IPD yeah. Chris on Instagram. Well, we look forward to uh, hearing from you in the future on what you guys are doing with the new Volvos and old Volvos, and we appreciate you taking your time today. Uh, we know you're a busy man, so um, thank you. Yep, thank yeah. you yeah. very much. Thank you for everything IPD does to keep yeah. the industry moving. So Thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys having me today. No yeah. problem. For the ep- this episode of the Avance Podcast, as always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>